It's good to see all of you here. I want to welcome all of you that are joining us online and at our campus at Edina and Loring Park. Good to have you with us as well. Uh, you walked in today expecting to see Pastor Dale as we kicked off season two of Grasping God's Big Story. Uh, so surprise, I'm here instead. Uh, Dale had oral surgery this last week and ran into some complications and uh, yesterday reached out to me and just said, hey, just due to some of the complications, I'm just not going to be able to do the message, so can you step in? Uh, so that's why I'm here. So what do you want to talk about today? <laughs> uh, no, I, uh, b before, we get, before we get into the message, uh, Dale did want me to reassure you that he will be with us this evening, and that's because we've got a big night tonight. Uh, tonight at 6.30, we come together as a church across all of our campus locations, and we cast a vote for Loring Park to become daughter church number 10, which is thrilling. So uh, just a shout out to those of you at Loring Park. Uh, we are for you. We are so proud of what God is doing in and through your ministry. And we are convinced that by having you become a church plant, that you can be even more effective for the gospel in Minneapolis, which is our heart. That's why we're sending you well and resourcing you well. And uh, church, this is an exciting time. So if you are a member, please do join us this evening at 630. We'll be right here in this room uh, at our Eden Prairie campus. And what a great moment of unity. Uh, so with that vote going on and just what's happening with Dale, let's just take a, a, a moment to pause and pray as we get into the message today. Father God, we come before you and Lord, we want to just first of all acknowledge that you are the creator of all things. Father, you have given to us the gift of a relationship with you. Father, we're so grateful for that. Lord, that relationship has changed us, and Father, so much of that relationship is described to us from your word. You've given us this gift. And so, Lord, today we place ourselves under your word. Father, I pray that we would honor it well. Speak to us now, Lord, through your word. Have it impact our lives so that we changed, we leave here changed as different people, more conformed to the image of your Son. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, everything we need to live a successful life, we've already received. Everything we need to live a life that is successful, we have already been given. The issue for us is not, have we received what we need? The issue is, do we believe that what we've already received is all that we need? Even as I say that, I question it myself. I mean, I know that everything I need to live a successful life in the Lord, I've already received, and yet there's a part of me that's like, well, if I had just a little bit more, I could probably be a little bit more successful. Like when it comes to ministry, I'm like, you know, if, if we at Wooddale just had a few more resources, we could probably be even more successful. And if we had just a little bit more budget, or if we had just a little bit more staff, or if we had just a few more volunteers, then we could be even more successful. I think about this in my personal life. I'm like, man, if we just had you know, a, a little more margin in our schedule, we could be more effective. If my kids just had a few more opportunities, like, then they could be successful. Right about now, I'm like, if I had just a little bit more sleep uh, from this weekend, 
I could be more successful. We, we, we buy into this belief or this lie that if we have just a little bit more, then that will allow us to be successful because at the root of it, we actually don't really believe that we've already received everything we need in order to live a life that's successful in the Lord. And we're not the only ones that struggle with that. In fact, today we're going to meet in Scripture a man who received everything he needed to be extraordinarily successful in the Lord. But he didn't believe it was enough. And his story serves for us as a cautionary tale. And that story is found for us in the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 13. So, uh, Edina Loring Park, if you have a Bible, I want you to open it up online, open up 1 Samuel 13. If you want to use one of the blue Bibles that we provide for you here at Wooddale, it is page 395, page 395, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13. As you're turning there, let me set the stage for us. God has called the people of Israel to himself. He said to them, you will be my people and I will be your God. And you don't need any other kings because I'm going to lead you. And God led them into the promised land. They established themselves in the promised land. And then they start looking around at all their neighbors. And they're like, they've got a king, and they've got a king, and they've got a king. And it seems like it's kind of the cool thing to have a king. And so they go to God and they said, hey, listen, we kind of want a king like all of our neighbors. And God says, you don't want a king. I'm your king. Like, just follow me. And they go, no, we kind of want to fit in with the neighborhood. So we'd like a king. And God says, fine, I'll, I'll give you a king. And so God, in this day and age, he spoke through prophets. In this period of time in particular, it was the prophet Samuel. And so God sends the prophet Samuel to anoint Saul to be the very first king of Israel. And so we're going to pick the story up right after Saul has been inaugurated to be the very first king of Israel. He had a couple events that, that took place right away, and, and we're picking up the story uh, right there. So 1 Samuel chapter 13, we're going to begin in verse 2. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan, that was his son, at, Ge at Gibeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes, and he sent them back to their homes because they had come for, for his inauguration. Jonathan attacked the Philistines, these, these enemies, longtime enemies of, of Israel. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news, Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious, I love that word, has become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. Okay, so here's what's going on. Here's the setting. Saul is doing everything you would expect a good leader to do. Good leaders are all about managing momentum. Right? He just became king. This was a big moment in the life of Israel. And right after he became king, there were some initial victories he had over the Ammonites. So there was just a little bit of momentum, kind of some energy that Hey, Israel can now rally around one king and we're starting to defeat our enemies. There's a little bit of momentum that's going on. And Saul, because he's trying to be a good leader, he does what good leaders do. He wants to take that momentum and carry it forward. So what he does is he goes and he picks a fight with the Philistines. 
And they're the long-term enemy of, of Israel. And so by doing that, he's kind of gaining some momentum. All of Israel's gathering around him. This is what you want as a leader. They're all looking to the king, and it's kind of like, all right, Saul, we're with you. Let's go after the enemy. The only problem was the Philistines responded in a way that was a little bit more than what Saul was expecting. Here, here's what happens in verse 5. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel, and then here's what they show up with. With 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of beth -Avon. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Okay, if you're a leader, this is not going well, right? This was your idea. You picked the fight. All of a sudden, the enemy shows up in force, and your people start to scatter. I mean, they're, they're running everywhere. They're hiding under rocks. That's not like a vote of confidence in your leadership. And for those Hebrews that went across the Jordan River, they were doing that. Jordan River's on the east side of Israel. Philistine is on the west. They're trying to put a river between them and the enemy. But it, it's more than just getting some more distance for the enemy. This has like theological implications. Because it was God who parted the waters of the Jordan River and invited his people to enter into the promised land, saying, when you come into this land, I will be your God, I'll take care of you. And so for a bunch of Hebrews to try to swim to the other side, outside of the promised land, they're saying to Saul, we don't trust you to be our king. And they're saying to God, we don't trust you to be our God. So things aren't going well for Saul. Because you started this. You picked this fight. You're trying to manage the momentum, and all of a sudden, everybody gets scared and nervous, and they start to scatter. And if you've ever been in a moment like that, where you were in charge of something, or you're responsible for something, and things just don't go the way that you had hoped or envisioned they were going, and everybody's kind of looking at you, and you're not really sure what to do, it is a really uncomfortable place to be. In fact, I think I can identify maybe just a little bit with, with maybe some of the emotions that Saul was experiencing. Because over the last several years, there has been a trend in, in the large church in America to, to move away from the church. Church attendance is like, you know, every stat you see, it's like all-time low. And everyone that comes out just shows lower and lower. It's like people are just not going to church like they once were. People are not as committed to the faith as they once were. People don't identify as being a follower of Jesus like they once did in, in our nation and in our country. And, and there seems to be almost like a scattering that's happening. And I just have to tell you, I mean, as a pastor, that doesn't feel good when you see that, that people are, are, are scattering. But you don't have to be a pastor to understand what Saul was going through. Many of us understand what that feels like. I mean, there are some of us, or some of you, that you're the only sincere follower of Jesus in your friend group at school. Right, or you're, you might be the only committed follower of, of Christ in your workplace. Or for some of you, you might be the only one who's really serious about following Jesus in your family. 
I mean, how many of us have friends and loved ones who at one point professed faith in Jesus Christ, and it's, and it's like they've crossed over the Jordan, right? They, they've deconstructed their faith, or they've walked away from faith, and, and you see them on social media, or you run into them, and, and you get some updates, and it's like they're, they're not involved in church at all. And, and it's not just one or two, like we're seeing this over and over and over again. And, and, and for me, and I'm sure for many of, of us, we see that, and we kind of identify just a little bit with what Saul was going through. That's like everybody's starting to scatter, and you're like, what do I do? And listen, for, the, for those of you that have had that hit, hit your own family, like if it's your children who have started to scatter, I mean, it, you, you have the sense of like, what am I going to do about this? So what is Saul going to do about it? What, what do you do when everybody starts to scatter, let's, let's, let's pick up our story. The text goes on to say that Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So it wasn't just the guys in the outposts that were scattering. Now it's the men who were standing shoulder to shoulder with Saul. The ones closest to him were starting to scatter. And the situation is just getting worse for this guy. Now here's the question. Why was he waiting seven days at, at Gilgal? And, and the reason that Saul was waiting seven days was because that's what Samuel instructed him to do. If we were to go back just a few chapters in Scripture, uh, we would find when Samuel came to Saul and said, God has decided that you are going to be the king of Israel, Samuel said there's going to be a series of signs that are going to happen in successive order. And when these signs happen, this is the proof that you can be assured that God has selected you, Saul, to become king. And so Samuel lists out the, the prophecy of what is going to happen. And sure enough, those things happen in successive order. And one of the things that was supposed to happen was that Saul would run into a group of prophets and then he would join them in, in prophesying. And this was like the, the last like, thing that Samuel was saying, that you'll know then that God has picked you and that God is with you. And I just want to read for you uh, what Samuel says to Saul about why he needed to stay in Gilgal seven days. But, but listen to this amazing promise that, that, that Samuel gives to Saul. It, it, it's, it's for us, just a few verses, or chapters back. It's chapter 10, verses 6 through 8. Uh, here's, what, here's what Samuel says to Saul. He said, the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. That's a good promise, isn't it? The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. And you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Wow, what a promise. It gets even better. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Okay, that's a good promise, isn't it? Do whatever your hand finds for you to do, for God is with you. This is how he begins to be king. I mean, that's the promise. Can you imagine if a prophet came to you and gave you that promise? Hey, whatever your hand finds for you to do, do it. God's with you. I mean, that's pretty, what would you do? I have a list. Do you have a list? I have a list. There's some pretty, I mean, would you start a business? Would you make that investment you've kind of been like hemming and hawing about? 
right? For some of you, you're like, I'm going out for the football team. I mean, that's what I'm doing, right? Or I'm finally going to go out for the play. Or I'm finally going to ask her out. Or I'm finally going to have a, a family. We're finally going to start having children. Like there's certain things that, that you've been hoping for and longing for. It's like, that's what I would do. If the prophet of God comes to me and says, do whatever your hand finds for you to do, for the Lord is with you, I am growing out my hair. <laughs> like man bun, that's what I'm going for, right? God is with you. That's an amazing promise. But listen, this amazing promise that King Saul received came with just one stipulation, okay? So you get this, God's with you. Whatever you choose to do, just this one thing, just this one thing you have to do. Verse eight, go down to Gil ahead of me to Gilgal. This is what Samuel is saying. I, Samuel, surely will come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you, Saul, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. To all this amazing promise, God is with you. Whatever your hand finds for you to do, God is with you. You just have to wait seven days. Why? Why did God make him wait? Because when we wait, it's a true test of our trust. See, so many of us, we just want to make things happen, like right now. Like, let's just do this. But when we have to wait on God, oh, man, we have to wait on God. That's a sign of trust. And when we have to wait on God, especially when we're in the midst of something that's really uncomfortable, that's a really strong test of our trust. One thing Saul had to do. The Spirit of the God is with you. You just have to wait. And man, it's just like Adam and Eve all over again. The one tree you can't eat from is the one tree that they eat from. The one thing you have to do is wait. And the one thing that Saul couldn't do was wait. And do you know why? It's because like so many of us, Saul assumed that God didn't show up. He waited seven days. Samuel said he would come. No Samuel. So what does Saul do? He takes matters into his own hands. Verse nine. So he, Saul, said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. And this was something that he as the king was not to do because God had given explicit instruction to wait for the prophet to come to make the sacrifice. The sacrifice was not for Saul to do. Saul was not to do this on his own. He was to wait for God's prophet, the one whom God would send to come and make the sacrifice on his behalf. He had to wait and trust that God would provide. That was what he was instructed to do and he chose to take matters into his own Hands. And I love the drama of scripture because it's like as soon as the smoke cleared from this sacrifice, right? It's like, it's like the smoke parts and then like out steps Samuel, right? Like he shows up right as he's finishing the sacrifice. Verse 10, just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? Asked Samuel. And Saul replied, it's not my fault. 
It's everybody else's fault. He says, when I saw that the men were scattering, that's not my fault. The, the men, they're scared. They're, they're nervous. You know, I, I, had to, I had to do something for their sake. It's not, it's not me, it's them. Plus, by the way, Samuel, you showed up late. He said, and that you did not come at the set time, right? By the way, God, you're late. It's not my fault, it's yours. You didn't keep your, your timeline. And, and it's, 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 not, it's not even that, it's the enemy, right? And that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. So, so, so Saul's looking at everybody else but him. It's the men, it's you, Samuel, it's, it's God, it's, it's the enemy, it's everybody else's fault but mine. And so here's what happens. So he says, because of all this, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. And then here it is, these four powerful words. So I felt compelled. That was Saul's issue right there. It wasn't just Saul's issue. That's my issue. It's also your issue. We feel compelled. Yeah, God, I know you said this, but, but look what's happening all around me. Yeah, God, I, I know you said this, but you, know, you didn't do what I thought you were going to do. Yeah, yeah, God, I, I know that you're saying this, but look what's happening in, in our world. Yeah, yeah, God. So, so I felt compelled. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. And there are many of us that, we, we, we get Saul. There are many of us that feel compelled. I, I mean, students, there are some of you right now that, that you are longing to fit in in school. And that you have been looking for a, a friend group to, to welcome you in, and finally it happens. Finally, there's a group that, that shows some interest. They kind of start inviting you in. The only challenge is that they're doing things that aren't honoring to God. And you know that by joining that group and participating in what they're doing, it's, it's not going to go well, but you feel compelled because you're tired of being alone. I mean, there's some of us who have been longing for a relationship in our life. We have been praying earnestly, God, would you bring a man or woman into my life so, so I'm not going to be alone. I, I so desperately want to have this committed relationship. And finally, there's somebody that shows up in your life and they start showing some interest in you and it's exciting and there's compatibility and, and you're so pumped. The only problem is they're not a follower of Jesus. And you know that you shouldn't enter into a serious dating relationship with somebody who doesn't share your values and share your faith but you're tired of being alone, and so you felt compelled. Or there are some of us who honestly, we identify a little bit with Saul. Like we're a little grumpy that God hasn't shown up and met us in this cultural moment through his church. There are some of us who are, are so attentive to what's going on around our culture and what's going on in society. We're just, we're really anxious and upset about all those things and we feel like the church has not shown up. And so we feel compelled to get super involved in other things like, like politics or, or like protests or like we're gonna go campaign against all these other things because the church isn't doing their job. You haven't shown up and so I'm gonna take matters into my own hands. Gang, there are churches right now that feel compelled. There are churches right now that look at the dropping attendance 
of church. And what they say is the problem is they feel compelled to do something and they think that the gospel might be a little too offensive for our culture. And so they take the word of God and they start to edit it. And they start to, to bring it up to date. And they start saying that some of these long-held beliefs uh, that, that God has instituted since the creation of all things no longer apply because we now know better in hopes that maybe it could stop people from leaving. And I understand where all of those sentiments come from, but listen very carefully. When we feel compelled to walk away from what God has instructed us, people get hurt. The consequence of not following God at his word is incredibly high. And that's exactly what happened with Saul. Because he felt compelled, here's what happens, verse 13. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. What's so sad for me about Saul's story is that God had given him everything he needed to be successful. He gave him his word, and he gave him his own spirit. Right? The spirit of God's going to come on you. You're going to be changed to be a different person. But for Saul, those things weren't enough. He felt like even though he had God's word, and even though he had God's spirit, he felt like he needed to take matters into his own hands. And listen, I see that same desire and temptation within me. It's within all of us. We want to take matters into our own hands. We feel compelled. So, so this, this scripture passage is, is such a strong reminder for us that we have to honor God's word. That's, that's the first application of this. We have to honor God's word. God has given us his word and life is found in his word and we need to honor his word. There's some of you right now that you're in a marriage that feels like you want to scatter from your marriage. I mean, it's just, it's really, really tough. And, you know, if somebody were to ask you about it, it's everybody else's fault. You got married too young. You, you've changed. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not me. It's my spouse. Look at all the things that they don't do. And the kids are unhappy. And it's just going to be better. And you feel compelled to say it's going to be better if I just get out of this marriage. But the question is not what do you feel compelled to. The question is what does God's word say? Or there's some of you, relationally, you have some tension points with somebody. There's some forgiveness that needs to be offered, but you don't feel like forgiving them. And you're holding on to it because you feel compelled to hold this against that person. But the question is not, what do you feel compelled to do? The question is, what does God's word say? Let me just take an aside here. There are many of us right now who rightfully so have some, I'll call the word anxiety, we have some anxiousness among us about what's happening in our culture and about what's gonna happen with the next generation. And that's justified. But there are some of us who in the midst of that, 
we feel compelled to start taking a bunch of actions about what we're going to do about it. And a lot of the actions that we feel compelled to take, they're not necessarily bad things. Many of us are concerned about, hey, what, you know, what, what's, what are my kids watching? What, what school are my kids attending? Uh, who's teaching my kids? Uh, what involvement do my kids have? Uh, you know, what, are, what are things that we need to do from, from a legislation standpoint? What are some of the laws that are in the books? And, and you're really concerned about those things. Those aren't necessarily bad things. But God in his word has told us specifically what we are to do to help prepare the next generation to, to be firm and resilient in the face of, of a world that's not friendly to faith. And all of the things that we're chasing that we feel compelled to do, they're not bad things but they're not the thing that God has called us to do. You know what God has called us to do in his word? He's called us to disciple the next generation. That we are called to spiritually invest in the next generation. And rather than be so fixated on what's happening all around us, God is calling us to disciple and invest in the next generation by showing the next generation how to honor God's word. In fact, he gives us a model for this in Scripture. Let me read this for you, uh, or to you. It is uh, the last letter that we think the Apostle Paul wrote. And he wrote, actually, to a man that he invested in spiritually. It was the person that he discipled. His name was Timothy. At the end of what we think is his final letter to this, this man that he had invested so much in, he writes this, and I, just, I want you to hear this, because this is a model for you and me, in the midst of our cultural moment, when it seems like everybody's scattering and we feel like there's this sense of anxiousness of what are we going to do, this is what God's word has told us to do. The question is, are we going to follow through with it? Here, here's, here it is. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions that I endured. And Timothy, reading this, would have been reminded about all of these stories at the time that he saw Paul deal with hardship, but never deviate from God's word or God's call in his life. It says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned because, and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good When we're anxious and nervous about what's happening to the next generation, we see them scattering. What God's word says is, is if you want to stop the scatter, don't pay attention to what you feel compelled to do. What we are to do is to live God's word out in front of the next generation. We're called to honor God's word in front of the next generation. And Paul tells Timothy that if we do those things, the servant of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Timothy could be confident in his faith because he saw Paul honor God's word. Listen to me. Your kids, 
will honor God's word because they see you honor God's word. So if you were writing this at the end of your life to to the person in whom you have been spiritually investing, what would you write? Would you be able to tell the stories about how when, when you lost your job because you were mistreated because of your faith in Jesus and your unwillingness to compromise your values that you remain faithful to God even in the midst of that hardship? And will your kids, would they be able to read that story and say, I remember watching my dad go through that. I remember watching my mom deal with that relational hardship. I remember, I remember catching my mom praying to God. Right? Or maybe it's somebody that you're mentoring in your life. And would that person be able to say, I, I've seen this person in their moments, their lowest moment. When everybody was scattering and they felt this sense of like, I gotta do something, they paused and they said, but what does God's word say? And they honored God's word. Folks, I, listen, I know we're anxious and uptight about all the things that's happening in culture, but when we honor God's word and we model that for the next generation, they will have a resiliency of their faith because they know it's true because of the relationship we had with them. That's God's plan. And the the temptation that we see from Saul is the temptation that is there for each and every one of us. I have to stay true to God's word and what it says. And I'll be honest with you, that's really hard to do. And so here's here's the encouraging thing. You don't do it alone. Just like Saul, God has given you his spirit. And we can lean on God's spirit to lead us, to help us in the midst of the challenging situations that we face. And that's the one thing that Saul didn't do. He didn't honor God's word and he didn't trust the spirit that God had given to him. You know how we know that? Because Samuel says, I'm gonna, I've given my kingdom over to somebody who, whose heart is after me. Somebody whose heart wants to be connected to my heart. See, Saul's heart was never following God. Saul's heart never trusted God. He trusted in himself. And so folks, in the midst of the hardships, the anxiousness that we're facing, we gotta follow God's word, but, but we absolutely need to trust not in ourselves, but in the spirit that God has given to us. And so as we, we close this service, I, I wanna give you an opportunity to do just that. So I'm gonna ask all locations, if, if you would just uh, take your hands and, and open them just like this. And then if you just bow your heads with me. And I want to ask you to envision that whatever it is that is is causing a sense of anxiousness about you, that you would imagine it being in your hands. And you are offering it up to the Lord. You are yielding to his spirit. For many of us, it may be a specific relationship, maybe a work environment, it may be a financial concern. But for so many of us, It is our children. It's our grandkids. It's our niece, it's our nephew. And in this moment, I just wanna invite you to tell God what's on your heart. And in the midst of our feeling compelled to do something, to yield and invite God's spirit to be the one that leads us. That it would not be our actions that we take, but it would be what God's spirit directs through his word.
And so with your hands open, would you just receive this prayer? Father God, we come before you now. And Lord, we yield to you. Father, we humble ourselves before you and say, Lord, we are anxious and uptight. Father, we, we feel compelled to take actions. And Lord, we need to pause and say, what does your word say? And Father, help us trust your spirit that you have given to us. We don't have to do this. We can't do this on our own. And so Father, in this posture, we receive now the leading from your Holy Spirit. Guide us in all truth and go before us, Father, we pray. It's in the name of Jesus.